the World Cup is a week away, folks. Believe it or not, it, it, it's just seven short days away. And I'm sorry to tell you, no, the U.S. national team still isn't playing in it. But there's still plenty for American soccer fans to talk about, look forward to, and be excited for. And, of course, there's also some bad stuff, but we'll cover it all. Hello, everybody. This is the SBI Show. I'm Ivan Scalarsep, and I'm joined today by my man, main man, managing editor of SBI Soccer, Ryan Tolmich. He'll be keeping me company today as we discuss everything under the sun in American soccer. Ryan, how you doing today? Not too bad, Ivis. It's uh, like you said, it's it's that time of year. You know, things are starting to kind of heat up, and it's it's starting to kind of feel real. You know, there were a few ever since kind of everything went down. It hasn't really felt like the World Cup was real, but now that we're a week out and everything's starting to kind of get going, it, it's starting to get kind of fun. It, yeah, it's a little crazy. I, I had someone ask me recently about, you know, am I excited or whatever? And and I really, I'm not really excited yet. And like you know, this is so for people who don't know. I will not be going to the World Cup, so I have gone to four straight World Cups, and I always said it never really felt real until I was getting on the plane to go to wherever it was, whether South Korea, Germany, South Africa, or Brazil. Since I'm not going this time, I don't think it's going to be real until that opening match, right? I think then you're kind of like, wow, it's really it's really beginning, and uh, I'm pretty pumped for it. I'm pretty, pretty excited. I think, uh, you know, obviously, U.S. fans are, are thinking about the national team and the future national team. I think you'll have to put that on hold a little bit for the World Cup and try to find a team to root for. I don't know about rooting for Mexico, as some people have suggested. I think it's a little crazy. But before we get to the World Cup, we're obviously going to talk U.S. national team. They play their last friendly before the World Cup this weekend against France. Before we get into that, we have to talk a little bit about the friendly against Ireland. The U.S. lost 2-1. to one. Bit of a forgettable game. Uh, it, it was obviously a step up in competition from the Bolivia uh, friendly, and they lost two to one. Uh, there were a few bright spots, but overall, it, it, it was kind of one of those games that was a little, little meh, little, little kind of bland. What did you think of the game? Yeah, I think that's that's kind of the way to describe it is meh. In that there were there was enough to kind of keep you interested, but it wasn't enough to really remember. And that, you know, there were points in the game where that were bright. You know, you look at, you know, Bobby Wood getting his goal, which is obviously much needed. You look at the way some of the younger guys performed, especially Adams and McKenney in the middle of the field. But, you know, it's it, it was just kind of and it was kind of hard to get excited about. And it, it definitely created a little bit of nerves heading into the France match. Yeah, it's obviously a tough spot if you're Dave Sarakin, right? Because when you look at the midfield that they put out there, you don't have a playmaker. Christian Pulisic went on vacation. And uh, personally, I, I think he should have played in these games. And I know some people will say, "Oh, you know, he's tired. It's a long season." And I, I don't, I don't really buy that, right? I mean, I think, I, I, I think you're seeing players all over the world, including players not going to World Cups, who are playing in these friendlies at the end of the year. They're playing for their countries, representing their countries. And Chris Pulisic's the best player on his team. He should kind of be there. And and I think, especially. Looking at the France game coming up, I think it's a little bit absurd that he's not going to be there. But it is what it is. And if you're Dave Sarakin, all of a sudden you don't have him. You had you brought in Kenny Sa- Sa- Safe Saif, however you say the name. Seth. Saif. Seth. However, Kenny Seth. Seth. I, I have heard that Kenny Seth was brought in, but he's injured. He gets hurt. So all right, another playmaker down. MLS teams weren't obligated to release players, so you know no Darlington Nagby. No Sebastian Lejet, which was one, which for me was one I thought that was a little questionable because obviously the LA Galaxy are in a world of hurt in terms of results, but they actually let Ola Kamara 
go to national team camp or go to uh, go with Norway for for friendlies, but they didn't let Lejet go. And I thought that was a little that was a little of an interesting decision, especially when you know Zlatan Ibrahimovic ended up not even starting against Portland. Uh, you know, so that for me, I thought that was a little suspect. But again, you don't have a playmaker to to put in that role, and you, and they missed that. They missed that that creativity. And think if you had a playmaker, it would have been a much different story. Yeah, it's it was a game that kind of cried out for a playmaker and that Ireland was a team that the match was pretty level most of the way and that both teams kind of had their moments. Ireland probably had the better of the play, but that all could have definitely changed if you had a, a number 10 or even not even na- a natural number 10, just a midfielder in that kind of spot that can create, even if it's not Christian Pulisic coming from the wing, you know, someone just coming in that can create, you know, you look at the attack, you had, you had Bobby Wood, you had Rubio Rubin and, and Timothy Way, and there's no real, real creator in there. Timothy Way can create for himself. Rubio Rubin can, can run it and, and make things happen but there was no real passer, and, and, and this was a game that kind of needed it. I think what stood out was the way the game ended. And you saw, I mean, Ireland had some some newer players in their mix, but they, they were obviously a veteran, a more veteran team. And you saw them, at toward the end, really kind of turn it up, right? Obviously, they made some subs, and some of those subs really made a difference. But you really saw the more experienced team realize that the game was there for the taking and they stepped their game up at a time when the U.S. did not do that. And I think part of that's obviously an experience. It's a younger team, not necessarily used to playing international competition in those kind of settings. And you got to close out the game. And that's what they didn't do. And for me, that was a bit disappointing. Uh, So but that's a lesson learned. It's going to come with experience. Now, the question is, how 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 much did they learn from that? And how much will that help them in an even tougher match? On Saturday against France, and I got to say, I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in feeling like we're bracing for a beatdown. Uh, and not to be the pessimist, but I mean, France is loaded as they are. Uh, they got to be licking their chops here at, at a young team that you have to wonder: Are they going to be ready for what France is going to bring? Yeah, just just looking at this France team and looking at this situation, it's not just kind of the talent obviously the talent is is at a whole nother level than this u.s national team but it's also kind of the motivation you know you look at france games in Lyon; it's their send-off match before the world cup and they're going to kind of want to build some of that goodwill heading you know heading into russia so you'd expect the stars to kind of step up you know you'd expect to see the first team at least for a little bit you you want to see you're going to see the pogba's and the, and the griezmann's and the mbappe's and with the world cup coming up you're going to you, you're going to see them kind of step in and, and try and do something special. And, you know, with that being said, this game could, you know, at best is going to be a big test for the U.S. And and at worst, like you said, it, it could turn into a bit of a beatdown. Yeah, I think the question there is going to be uh, how long will they will their, will their stars play, right? It, will, will their manager kind of pull them out at halftime, bring in some other people? Or will he use this match to look at some of his, his kind of secondary options? I mean, I know it's the last friendly uh, before before the World Cup, but, I mean, they've played games in the run-up so it's not like he doesn't know his squad it's not like he doesn't know his team so I think you know if you're the U.S. if you could see a 45 minutes of their best team and then see it and not that their bench is that much weaker they're still gonna bring arguably the best out there yeah I mean it's one of no question about it so I I want to see some of these American players uh, just kind of take see how they do individually in some of these matchups because obviously I think guys like Tyler Adams uh, Weston McKinney, Matt Miazga. Uh, I, you know, I'd like to see Zach Steffen start in goal. Uh, those guys, see how they stack up. Because I had to say, I don't want to say the U.S. overlooked Ireland, 
But I feel like young guys, young players like that, young, you know, like Tim Weah, they're going to get up for this France game. Does that mean they're going to be able to match them? Obviously not. It doesn't mean that. But I do think, I, I do think that as young, fearless players as they are, I, I think at least for the beginning of the match, I think they're going to go out buzzing. They're going to come out buzzing. They're going to want to get into the tackles. They're going to want to really try to go at people. But I think at the end of the day, obviously the quality, the the cream's going the cream's going to rise to the top of this matchup. Uh, but we'll see how wh- which of these players that that we just mentioned, which of them actually emerge and show, hey, I can play against the best in the world, and I can ha- and I can hang, I can hang with these guys. Yeah, like you said, it's I'm going to be watching the individual battles as well in that, you know, you don't expect the group to fare that well just because there is a, such a talent difference. But I want to see Cameron Carter-Vickers and Matt Miazga handle Griezmann or Giroux or Mbappe, whoever starts up top. You know, I want to see, you know, Weston McKennie and, and, and Tyler Adams battle with N'Golo Kante or Paul Pogba or Matuidi or whoever gets in there. You know, you want to see these individual guys step up and kind of sink or swim and that this is going to be the biggest test they face at least for – you know, at least until the fall when things kind of heat up then again. But you want to see them kind of step up. And like you said, finishing strong is important for me, you know, especially after the way that Ireland game kind of ended. You kind of want to just see see them kind of be able to weather the storm and handle things. So you want to see just little things. You know, you want the individual matchups, weathering storms. Just you want to see some sort of positive because you're not sure how much this, uh, the scoreline is going to indicate. But you just want to take away some sort of positive from this game. And obviously, this game is the last game before the World Cup for the U.S. And the last game before, hopefully, we'll see the new coach be named. And this past week, we learned who will be spearheading the search for that head coach. Ernie Stewart, no surprise, has been named the general manager for U.S. soccer. and he will, General manager for the U.S. men's national team. And now he will lead the committee or now he will lead the search for the new coach. And, and you know, he, he had a lot of interesting things to say as far as what he wants to see, what he wants to look for. He actually formally begins on August 1st, which I thought it was a little interesting. He's going to stay with the union until then. I mean, I got to think even before then, he's going to kind of start working on looking for the candidate. Uh, I'm pretty sure the union will be okay if, he, if he's, you know, uh, c- considering other speaking to candidates, looking into candidates. I don't think he's going to wait till August 1st to start working on that. But now that Ernie Stewart's been hired, now we can start to have that conversation about who the best candidates are for the job. So, right, let's say you were Ernie Stewart. Let's say you 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 were going to have that 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 kind of clout to help pick the next coach. Who would you recommend to be the next coach of the U.S. National Team? If I had to nail it, I'll narrow it down to two. I think I do like the Greg Berhalter suggestion just because I think his coaching style and the way he operates a team and the way he kind of envisions a team playing is something that would fit with the national team and it's something that would fit with the way that American soccer wants to be played and then I'm all in on the Juan Carlos Osorio idea just because one I think he would be a great hire he just he knows the system he knows how this country works and also because the idea of him facing Mexico in that first friendly just sounds pretty fun to me why are you picking two I said pick one guy Pick your pick your pick. Hey. You want to just take all the candidates. You don't leave I me. Didn't any. Take, hey, I, I, I said two. pick one. I said I, no. I, you, I said one. I one? said one. All right. If you're you're making me choose. I'm I'm saying probably Greg Berhalter, just okay. because it's it's the most logical choice, and I think it fits I, most. So why now? Here's I don't I don't now. Here's the thing. You're definitely not alone in this, right? I, I've I've definitely heard a growing sentiment in some circles about Greg Greg Berhalter being kind of the the front runner now, being the favorite. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's interesting, it, but for me, like 
and I and I like him as a coach. He's one of the best coaches in MLS, no question about it. Uh, I just wonder, like, how he does he have the years in in coaching even to be ready to handle a a, a big national team job? That's that's my question. And you know, it, it, does that mean he'd necessarily fall flat? I, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying that either, but I just think people are definitely enamored with the style of play of the crew. Um, but at the same time, I mean, let, let's not act like they've been racking up the trophies, right? They, sure. they have a nice style of play. They've also had their struggles. They've also had their ups and downs. Uh, you know, it's he hasn't dominated. I'm, this, we're not talking Bruce Arena circa the 90s or or even a Siggy Schmidt or a Bob Bradley in terms of being able to put some trophies on the trophy case. So I, I, that's why, for the, just for that alone, I, I, I am a little surprised how many people are jumping on the Burrowhalter bandwagon. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him as a coach because hey, he's a Jersey guy, and you gotta love you gotta love a Jersey guy taking over uh, as head coach. Obviously, for me, and I've said it before, I've gone on record. I think Juan Carlos Osorio would be the pick for me, uh, just because I really think he ticks all the boxes in terms of uh, understanding the country, understanding the landscape here, international experience, and ability to tie into the Latino market and the Latino player, the Latino player base which I really think has been underrepresented and underutilized. And I mean, obviously, we don't need to talk about the whole Jonathan Gonzalez situation and more recently the Efren Alvarez situation. So I think for me, that's why I like him as the guy if he were available. And there's no, there's no, there's no guarantee he's going to be available. And, and that's the thing about the World Cup and about waiting till after the World Cup. I don't know how many candidates are really in this tournament now that now that Roberto Martinez is off the market he signed a contract uh, at a new contract with Belgium so he's going to be their their manager into the next euro tournament so i think if for me i i, I always thought uh, Roberto Martinez was someone who would be a possibility for the US right so you have Osorio who's in the world cup you have Carlos Queiroz the the Iran manager is someone else who's been mentioned uh, so, I mean, I think from that standpoint, I, I, I want to see someone with some international experience. And I think that's why Osorio, the, the thing about Osorio as a candidate is, and it needs to be brought up is if, if Mexico doesn't do well, they're not going to consider him. I, I, I think that's what it's, I don't think, I don't think U.S. soccer will consider him if Mexico falls flat at the World Cup. However, if Mexico does well, then I think Colombia is going to come knocking among other countries, among other uh, clubs in Europe. I think. I think then you're in a competition, and then it's going to be that much tougher to 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 get in there. I, I mean, I think for me, the U.S. job is probably number two on Osorio's list. I think Colombia would be the top choice for him. Uh, so it's a, it's going to be a little tough. It's going to be a little tough. So there's no no guarantee that Osorio is going to be available. The only thing I could say for sure, like if you're asking me what I'm betting, I would bet a million dollars if I had it that Osorio will not be coaching Mexico. Af- uh, come September. Uh, in terms of MLS coaches, the, the guys you mentioned, obviously, I think are at the front of the line. Burhalter and Jesse Marsh. Uh, so we'll see. Ernie, Ernie Stewart, man, he, it's going to be interesting to see which direction he goes. I know there's this kind of, there's a perception or a rumor making the rounds that Burhalter is Ernie Stewart's guy. Ernie Stewart's going to hire him. I don't know how much truth there is to that. To be completely honest, based on what my, what I've heard and what I've been told, I don't I don't think from that standpoint that it's a done deal. And, but I really get the sense some people think it's going to happen. It's a done deal. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll have to see. We'll have to see how things shake out in the in the coming months because you know th- there's a lot of good candidates. Yeah, I, I agree with you in in some sense that I would like to see 
a more internationally experienced candidate just because it is it is a big job. You know, no matter what way you slice it, the U.S. job is a big job and it's a big undertaking. I would trust an MLS manager maybe more so than a year ago just because you do have Stewart in as the GM and that it does. Obviously, we have to see how the GM sort of operates, and we all know that that role maybe doesn't have as much power as we thought it would, but it does alleviate some of the responsibilities nah, of what you'd buy, expect nah, from not the, really, not really. It doesn't. I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't, doesn't. You're not going to have total you, technical you, director power like like you're you still have did. to you run have, your team. You still have to run your course. team in international matches in tournaments. The GM's not going to be there to hold your hand. I mean, the GM's going to help in some capacity, of but course. in terms of running the team, that, that I, no, it's not. It's not going to help a, a coach who does not have that experience. He'll help with, with kind of over overarching issues with the team, but in terms of managing a team in in international competition, there, there, there's a lot to be said for having experience. Now, again, having said that, I think you want someone with ties to the U.S., someone who understands mm-hmm. the landscape here. Uh, and it's a bit of a, a limited field of guys who have the international experience and have some understanding of the landscape here. Uh, and the two guys I mentioned are the two guys who kind of make sense in that regard, and that Osorio and Kadosh. So uh, I think it's those two guys, and it's probably the, the coaches that we mentioned, the MLS coaches. I know people have talked about Tata Martino. Obviously, folks in Atlanta love Tata Martino. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm, ha- I'm not completely bought in on that one. In terms of being a fit for the U.S. team, I, I don't buy that completely. I think people are a little, uh, a, a little uh, jumping the gun a little bit when it comes to Tata being a good fit for the U.S. Personally, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. One. Yeah, I don't. It's it doesn't fit for a couple reasons. One is I don't know why he'd leave Atlanta at this point, just because it's such a good fit for him and and it seems to be a, a good role for him. And two, obviously, there are so many challenges. Obviously, his English has gotten better, but that'd be something. Get, He's only been here for a year, year and a half. Yeah, so come on, Tata. Your your wife is an English teacher, man. Yeah, how are you still not speaking English in interviews? Come on. I mean, hey, hey, I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do English and Spanish in a year and a half, so I can't. I can't. Right, fault hey, it. hey, David Villa did it. Okay, That's, David, David Villa did, did it, and like I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure his wife is not an English teacher. I'm just saying, Tata's making his wife look bad. Because he still hasn't learned English, I, I, you know what? Maybe he actually knows English because we have heard that we have we have heard of people who who learn English but they don't kind of feel one hundred percent comfortable, so they don't use it. They stick to Spanish. And to be fair, Atlanta United has an excellent translator, uh, mm-hmm. who, who, who's probably one of the best translators you hear, who translates Tata's interviews. So maybe from that standpoint, Tata hasn't felt like okay, I don't need to bust out the English, but I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of busting chops there. But I, I I'm a little less bought into that. That idea. Although, to be fair, I asked Brad Guzan last year about Tata and, and how he, he might would make sense. And Tata, Tata was all about it. I mean, uh, Brad Guzan was all about it. Uh, Michael Parkhurst, I asked Michael Parkhurst about Tata, and he was definitely he he saw him as being a, a possibility. I wouldn't say he would be terrible. I just think there's other people that I would absolutely take ahead of him. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he's certainly further down on the list when it comes to to that but you know we'll see there's there's so much to sort out you know especially with the world cup coming there's there's so many different ways it could go it's gonna be fun well i'll tell you what another candidate that we didn't mention uh is u.s current u.s under 20 national team coach tab ramos who actually happens to be joining us on the sbi show and is actually heading to russia 
uh, with Telemundo. He's going to be doing a color commentary uh, with Telemundo at the World Cup. A, a bit of a new experience for him. But don't get it twisted, folks. He might be doing some TV work, but he's still a coach. He's still going to coach the U-20s. And he still wants to have a shot at coaching the U.S. senior national team. And we have him with us, joining us from New York, actually. We have Ty Ramos. Ty Ramos, welcome to the SBI Show. How are you doing today? Hi, Ivis. How are you? Thank you for having me on. Great to have you on, and uh, obviously you, you'll be heading over to Russia. You'll be one of the Americans that actually getting on a plane to Russia, so you're, you're, I'm sure a lot of people are, are jealous of the fact you're heading over there. T- tell me a little about the about the work you're going to be doing. You're going to be doing TV work. Is this your first kind of tour- tournament uh, job like this, covering doing TV work? Yes, first time. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it, and I've... Uh, I spoke with Telemundo a number of times over the last six months uh, when they when they asked me about going. And at first, I sort of debated it because you know obviously our team not being in it, you know it's it's not the same. Um, but then I started to get excited about it. They basically said to me, "Look, we want to make this the best coverage that anyone has ever had of the World Cup. We're sending over 500 people to Russia uh, to cover it. We're going to be at every game uh, live." And then we'd love to have you in, you know, at Red Square, um, you know, to to give your opinion on a number of the games. And I was like, well, you know what, that sounds, um, it sounds really appealing. And then they said, well, you know, we don't really, we don't want you to prepare a lot. We don't want you to over prepare on things that you may want to say. We just want you to look at it as a coach and just give your opinion on the games as they happen. And so, um, sounded like a, you know, like a, like a pretty good deal, you know, having an opportunity to be in Russia for the first round. Uh, the next hurdle was getting permission from U.S. soccer because obviously I have a job. Uh, so it's not easy to take, you know, 15 days off to, you know, to go do anything when you, when you're working all the time. Right. Um, but I think, you know, U S soccer was, uh, was nice enough to give me the opportunity to go. And I think it's a good opportunity from a U.S. soccer side to connect a little bit more with, uh, with the Latino community, which I think we need to be doing more and more of. So, um, I think it starts to work a little bit both ways. As far as the trip itself and, and this particular World Cup, what are you most looking forward to seeing uh, when you go over there? Um, looking well, there's, there's great matchups, but I think what I'm looking forward to is what next young players will become, you know, the next great players of the world. You know, if you remember, you know, 2014, Hamas um, and his run that, that ended up putting them at Real Madrid. Uh, there's always there's always somebody who's at that that secondary level who makes that big jump uh, during the World Cup, and of course, you know, we're all I think we're all anxious to a certain extent to see what Messi can do and what likely will be his last opportunity to win a World Cup. Um, same goes for Ronaldo. I mean, I think unfortunately, you know, although we want to root for both of those guys because they're two of the greatest players ever, without question. Uh, and in the end, they're going to be judged by whether they won a World Cup or not. I think um, that there's no question that they just don't seem to have the support to be able to do it this time. Um, you know, there's there's Neymar and his comeback and, and how well he's going to fit into Brazil. Obviously, looked pretty good, you know, uh, in this last game already. But uh, we'll see how that works. Brazil being one of the favorites to win it, they have a good shot at it. 
Um, and then what players are going to pop out of it? I think that's what's exciting. You know, if France does well, are we considering, you know, Griezmann and Mbappe like right at the top of the list of everyone at the end of this World Cup? If, you know, if uh, Belgium does well, are we now looking at Hazard again, like we were looking at him a couple of years ago, and De Bruyne is like the top of the top. Uh, and the same go for many. You know, if Mexico does well, I think Hervin Lozano has a good opportunity to be considered as a great player. And so there's, there's a lot of little side stories um, that I think will change according to how well the teams do, England being another one with Harry Kane and Sterling and, you know, whoever. But um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of that. And, you know, World Cup, I think it's the same for all of us where, like, we – you know, after the the World Cup is over, you're like, okay, you just, you want that, you feel a little sad that it's over, but then you're okay with the little break, and then you just get anxious for it to come back, because whether you're you're a player in it, or a coach in it, or an analyst in it, or you're just a fan in it, the World Cup is, is the best. Right, right. Now, you mentioned Irving Lozano. Obviously, Mexico uh, is, is the top CONCACAF team heading in there. I know there's a lot of talk about how some people suggest U.S. fans should root for Mexico at this World Cup. And I know a lot of people think that's crazy to even suggest. But, I mean, what do you think about that idea? And and how do you see Mexico and the CONCACAF teams doing in this tournament? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I don't like that idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you root for your number one rival when you're not in the tournament. Right, I just don't, I don't see I don't see that happening. But uh maybe some people do and if they do that's great, but I I yeah, I I can't imagine that the 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 big fans of US soccer will be rooting for Mexico in this World Cup. But um I guess some people could potentially <laughs> right. do that. Um as far as the rest of the CONCACAF teams, you know, having said that, I think Mexico has a very good team and a good opportunity in that group. Um you know, and a lot of what Mexico does in this World Cup is going to depend on that first game with Germany. I think if they can, you know, if they can get a positive result in that in that game, I think they 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 could they could make a run to make some noise at this World Cup. Um, yet, if they don't in that first game, I think they they will even struggle through their group. I, I have a feeling that that group will become a little bit tougher than it seems from you know from before we start. Um, and then as far as, you know, uh, Costa Rica, Costa Rica, I think, has a good group of, like, veteran players uh, who have been through this type of stuff before, and I think that's, that's going to help them a lot. Uh, so they have, good, they have good possibility of, of making some noise, although I don't, I don't foresee Costa Rica advancing, you know, far in the World Cup. And then, there, then there's Panama, and Panama, you know, it's first-time country. I think I, I'm really, to be fair, I'm, I'm excited for them. Um, I really like to see Panama do well. I know that a lot of people are not expecting that, and I know that they're you know they're going to be they're in a very difficult group with having two of the potential contenders to win the World Cup in it. Um, but you know what? I'm happy for them. It's a it's a new country going into a World Cup. It's a country that's been doing things right at the younger side uh, for the last you know eight ten years, and I think they're starting to see the results of that. They're investing into soccer. Uh, and they see the results of that, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful that they, that they do well, and they're competitive, and that they're happy when the tournament is over. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I got to say, I think Panama. I think it's going to be a tough one just because of the age of that group, right? I mean, they had that golden yep. generation, and they finally yep. have made it there. But when you look at it, yep. I was, lo- I was looking at the, at the ages of players uh, uh, that were on the official rosters, which came out on Tuesday, 
And Panama has actually three of the eight oldest players and four of the twelve <laughs> oldest players in the entire tournament. So I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you know how it is. It's it's kind of a young man's game when you get to the World Cup. So I think it'll be yeah. for Panama. It's probably going to be more likely uh, a great experience to just finally get there. But I don't know if we're going to see any kind of dream run out of them. That's that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I think this is the great thing about doing the right thing in the younger age groups, and they they've been able to they've been able to push some of those guys. Uh, to get the most the most out of them, uh, and I think they still have a couple of younger players on the team who who can also make a difference. So we'll see what happens. But I'm I'm truly um, I'm truly excited for Panama and and seeing them in the World Cup. Now, now you and I are are both lucky in that we have a team to root for at this World Cup. Obviously, you have you have right. Uruguay there, and I have Peru there. But as far as the U.S. fans who don't have any kind of you know blood ties or family ties to a country. I mean, who who would you recommend they root for? Are you, are you going to say jump on the Uruguay bandwagon, or what, what, like who 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 is the team that you're kind of looking at and saying, I think I'm going to have fun watching that team play? Well, look, I mean, there's there's a couple of teams that everybody seems to jump on board regardless, and those happen to be like Brazil and, and Germany. They're teams that you know just fans in general jump on board. I mean, sometimes, and I'm not sure you know how you're up green upbringing was but obviously brazil is a big rival of uruguay but still brazil is the team sort of that everybody likes regardless and so it's hard to root against brazil because they just they play happy and you want to root for a team like that and you know for me the other team that i really like to watch at this point is spain you know i mean how how can you root for teams that play soccer so well you know and so for me if i'm a fan right now i'm I'm jumping on anyone's bandwagon, number one. Maybe pick an underdog, maybe pick a, whoever, an Iceland or somebody, and make that your underdog. But then you root for the good team that plays the best soccer. And I, and I think it's it's probably going to be either Spain or Brazil. Right. And who is your pick? I don't know if you've made the pick yet, but who's your pick to win it? Have you made a pick yet? If I had to pick, if I had to make a pick today, which would be tough, I, I, I would have to say Brazil is going to redeem themselves and win this World Cup. Nice, yeah. Uh, after watching Neymar the other day, I, I could see, I could see that all of a sudden them jumping back up into people's minds as far as a, a favorite for that one. Uh, we obviously have to talk national team, U.S. national team. They played on Saturday. They played, uh, they played Ireland. They've, they've had a few friendlies recently. A lot of guys that you know, a lot of players that 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 have played for you. Uh, you know, coming up this new generation. What what have you thought of these games, and who, who's who's kind of impressed you with what they've been able to do with their opportunities in these U.S. friendlies? I think they've all impressed me, and I think I, I get really happy, and I mentioned this the other day to somebody, that I, I'm really happy for all the youth national team coaches that we've been able to help players to prepare them for the for the senior national team because one thing I can tell you is whether, and we all know that the team can get better, and we all know that they're young players and they, they have they have to improve a lot still, but the one thing that's really important when you go to the senior national team is that you are you're prepared for your opportunity. And I think if there's one thing that we've seen with all the young players who have moved up is they're prepared. They're prepared. They play hard, and they're prepared, and they're not scared. And and I think that that's a really good sign for all of them. In terms of you know maybe picking a couple that, that have, I don't want to say surprise, but I think that I've taken advantage of the opportunity. I think, you know, Timmy Weah has done a, a really good job. Maybe uh, exceeded expectations for the first couple of times that he has an opportunity at such a young age. Uh, and I think the same goes for Josh Sargent, although Josh Sargent has been the player that a lot more people have talked about. So it's not as much of a surprise. But when you take all the other things away and you just put Josh Sargent on paper and you say, well, he's 18, 
years old, 19 years old, I mean 18, and he just stepped into the national team and played center forward a couple games. That's really tough. That's really, really tough, and I think that's impressive. And then, and then you look at the rest of them, and and they've all done well. You know, whether it's Eric Palmer Brown or Cameron Vickers or Matt Miazga, who has already been there. But I mean, there's just there's a lot of younger players who I think when you watch the games, there's not there's not a time where you you watch one of those guys play and you say, oh, you know, now I can see he's he's way too young. He really doesn't belong. I don't think there was one of those. Right, right. And you and you mentioned Sargent, and I thought it was interesting that quite a few people uh, seem to question the fact that he hasn't played a pro game yet. Uh, meanwhile, they're forgetting the fact that he was, I believe, golden boot winner at the U-20 World Cup. Uh, I mean, he's he, here's a guy who, he's only 18, but if you you know if you see him up close, and per, I mean, he's a big kid. He obviously, he moves really well. I mean, is it is it fair to say that he is not your, he's not your typical kid who hasn't played a pro game yet? Uh, you would certainly say that, yeah. Josh is definitely not your average kid that's 18 years old that doesn't have experience. I mean, he just, um, in our last camp uh, that we had with the U-20s in March, we played France's U-21 team. Uh, you know, they, they have some, some big boys, and they all play in, in Division One in either France or somewhere else. I mean, these are big players, and he did really well in both of those games. Um, he He's gaining experience. But I do see the other side of, of it, too. Um, I think the national team needs to be earned, and how do you earn that? And you earn that by doing well at your club, and by, and by doing well, especially when you talk about our senior national team, is you earn your position by doing well at your club at the highest level that your club has. And so, you know, this is a unique time for a national team in which all those considerations kind of go out the window because it's just a matter of introducing a lot of young players to the senior national team. But I, I'm sure as uh, – as as the year goes on and, and the coach gets named and whatever happens next, um, I'm sure that when the games really start to matter, um, I think the players that would, will get called are the players that are doing well. Right. Now, now, obviously, now with the rosters all coming out now for the World Cup, people are going to think about, oh, what what would the U.S. team, US team have looked like? And obviously, we won't, we won't get into the whole thinking about who would have been on that team. But when I look at these young guys, like, like a – Sergeant, like a way, of, I mean, would it have been out of the realm of possibility that that one of these guys would have been on a U.S. World Cup team? That you think that that like, if it's, let's say you were picking the team, do you think you would have found a spot for one of these guys to put on the team? I think it would be different if I were to pick the team because I knew these guys really well before this. Uh, so of course, I, it, it would have been different. But I think had we qualified to the World Cup. I don't think any of these guys would have gotten an opportunity to go to the World Cup. No. Really? Okay. Even like, because I mean, like, yeah. people think about the Julian Green, obviously, as as an eighteen year old, and some teams have done that. Like I remember yeah. Kaká being on the Brazil team in two thousand and two, where you bring in a, a teenager, eighteen yeah. year old, to put on that twenty third spot. So, so you don't you, you don't think that that probably would have happened? I, I think that that um, possibly Weston McKinney, since he played. Uh, for Shaka, a number of games, and he started. I think he's one uh, that might have gotten an opportunity and that potentially could have made this World Cup team. But I don't know that any of the other young players, uh, maybe Tyler Adams would have had an outside right. shot, but I, I just I don't, I don't see any of the other young players. Having, been, having known that team and what it was like, uh, I, I just don't think that, that, that these players would have been given an opportunity, no. 
Well, let's change the subject a little bit. Uh, I had to ask you about the Hall of Fame, the mm-hmm. recent U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame class was announced, and you you were able to to surprise Brad Friedel with his inclusion. He he was obviously one of one of the the, the players voted in, along with Cindy Parlo Cohn. What I what I have to ask you: the whole process of voting for me is a little frustrating because when you see people who didn't make the cut. So the question I'd ask you is: if you could add one more player, if there was one more player you could add to this class, who would you who would you have added? To this Hall of Fame class. Uh, well, I would add it, Carlos uh, right. Bocanegra. I think he, I think he deserved to be on it this time. Right. No, and I agree with you there. I actually, yeah. That 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 for me was kind of a surprise. But the but seeing Steve Chirundolo once again, kind of just not get the votes. I mean, I, I I've been yeah. trying to figure this one out. I think it's part partly because again he didn't play in MLS. He wasn't the most outspoken player. But I mean, when you look at the career, I mean, it seems a little yeah. crazy that 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 he still isn't in the Hall of Fame. What do you think of that? I I agree with you. I I totally agree. I think it just depends on on different years who you're matched up with and who comes up next. There's no question that that both of those guys are are deserving of of going. Um, and they're the probably first two on the list. Uh, you asked me for one before, so I had to give you one. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I I completely agree. There's you know and. Yeah, it's uh, there's no question. Well, maybe I guess maybe next year. I don't know who comes in next year, who gets added to the list, because that makes it difficult. One thing that there's not there's not a question about is that Brad Friedel is completely deserving of the honor. I mean, there's just yeah. hasn't been anyone like Brad Friedel for me. It was it was I I love the exp- I love that you know I, that the Hall of Fame picked me to do that because <laughs> I mean right. Brad Friedel had to be one of the easiest selections ever made right, for the Hall right. of Fame. So, right, so it was question. nice. I interrupted his practice up in New England with the revolution. <laughs> right. I went right in the middle of it. It was just, it was just really nice. The players were good about it. The, the New England organization was really nice about it, and we just, uh, and we surprised them. And it was, it was. I really enjoyed it. It was great. Right, right. No, I mean he's doing well. I tell you what. Uh, yeah, obviously, we all know about the playing career he had, but this is yep. his first head coaching job, his first professional head coaching job, and he's he's doing pretty yep. well. He's tur- turned things around with New England, but it doesn't sound to me like you're that surprised that he's hit the ground running on the coaching front no not at all not at all uh, i actually spoke with new england before that um before he was even hired and i was like yeah for sure this is your guy i mean he's amazing he's a great coach and i think he's going to continue to do really well great great well we'll, we'll have to touch on one last topic the, you, the yeah. your team the u.s under 20s uh, you had yeah. a re- you had a recent uh, camp and trip with them. You played a couple of friendlies. Uh, obviously, it's always tough to ask you you know about specific players because it's your team and you don't want to play favorites. But uh, who who had a good camp? This most recent camp, were there any players that kind of really stood out or, or really kind of impressed? Yeah, I think we're starting to form a, a nice core group of players. Um, obviously, we couldn't have uh, Mark McKenzie because he's playing most of the games for Philly now, so he, he wasn't released. But um, obviously, he's a core player. Matt Real is a left back, is doing really well. Um, in the middle of the field, Richie Ledesma has been an incredible addition. I mean, he's got really soft feet, and, you know, he can, he just, he gives the team a lot of air. He has, you know, it's easy for him to control the ball and manage the game. Uh, which has been a really nice surprise, uh, although he's a little bit of a smaller player. Uh, Chris Gosselin has done well. Obviously, Andrew Carlton has done well. Um, and, and then Justin Rennick scored, uh, scored a couple goals in the last game. So he, he pressures hard. He, you know, he has a good demeanor going forward. He's a good, good team player. 
Um, you know, so so I think that's that's pretty much the the beginning of the core of the group, and then then we'll see who we can add according to, you know, who who gets released. You know, obviously Jonathan Amon. You know, I mentioned to you I like him a lot. You know, one on one, I don't think we've had a player like this on the come up to the um, to the U20s in a while. I would compare him a lot on the one on one, maybe with uh, with Nick Tatagu, which we haven't been able to have again this year. Uh, and I'm hoping that you know he comes for qualifying. Uh, so there's you know uh, just right there there's there's a number of players that can help us a lot, and then we'll see what happens. You know when you know uh, when there's a GM and 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 there's a conversation about what players are going to be senior players and what players will be Olympic team players and what players will be able to uh, play with the 20s and that's in particular including you know obviously Tim Weah and Josh Sargent who you know I don't I don't really see Tyler Adams being part of the U20 but right, potentially right. the other two guys could be at some point. Right, I have heard good things about Ledesma, uh, Real Salt Lake player. For those who, who haven't heard of him, it sounds like he's someone who's definitely could be that in that next wave of of players to watch uh, in that in that cycle. So you, now you you uh, you mentioned about the whole the, the GM position. It, it has yet to be filled. It sounds like it's going to be filled pretty soon, and then we'll find out what's going on with the coaching situation. And just to clear things up, you you're still interested in becoming the U.S. coach. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, it's it would be unfair to say no. You know, <laughs> right. I would answer it like that. <laughs> right, right. That's because fair. how could I how could I say no? I mean, I, you know, I I really know all these young players, and I I kind of know what makes them tick, and I've had success with them, and we've overachieved a little bit with them, and that's I think some of the things that you need to do with the senior team. But you know, regardless of what happens, I um, you know I I'm really grateful for the position that I'm in and and what I'm doing and working for U.S. Soccer and. I think I have a pretty important job as it is, so so I'm enjoying it for the moment. Great. Well, hey, I definitely appreciate the time and and good luck over in Russia and have fun and uh, maybe maybe we'll see Uruguay may make a run and then you'll you'll have something extra to cheer for there. That sounds good. Are you going to Russia? No, I will not actually. I'm, I've been to four oh. straight World Cups, but I will not make it five. The good news is I'll be oh. able to watch it with my kids for the first time. So I, that that's kind of the silver lining there is. Uh, I haven't been able to see a World Cup with my with my sons before, but that, now we'll get to root for Peru together. So that that'll be the uh, that'll be the silver lining there. So all right, so we'll see you on Telemundo then. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> now moving away from the U- U.S. national team front, we have to talk MLS, of course. And there's plenty. There's plenty to talk about in terms of game action, but of course there are some some big rumors making the rounds. And usually we're talking about player moves, player transfers, players on the way. In players on the way to Europe, but actually the big the big rumors making the rounds this week and in the last couple of weeks is is, the, is on the coaching front, and we we have both New York coaches are front and center in the rumor mill. Jesse Marsh being linked to to Red Bull Leipzig, the Bundesliga club, with uh, one of the big German outlets reporting that he's going to be hired. He's a front runner. Uh, and then you have Patrick Vieira, who I think it's been a month now that he's been linked with the French club Nice. Uh, and it's you know every single day it's something new. He's gonna is he gonna take? He's not gonna take it. He, he'll be confirmed tomorrow. Oh wait, no, he's not. Now it's next week. Oh wait, no, it's not. Now it's to, you know. So it keeps stopping and starting, stopping and starting. And the latest is that that Vieira is gonna be gone by the weekend. So uh, what, what do you make of that, man? What, what, what do you think when you when you hear all these crazy rumors about a cup about two, not one, but two MLS coaches? It's crazy that 
it's just that time of year and that time of season that you expect players to kind of start drumming up interest and especially with the world cup looming. but here we are talking about these two coaches and it's crazy that it's both new york teams at the same time but the other thing about it is I think you knew that both would leave eventually. Both did have aspirations for Europe. Obviously, Patrick Vieira came here, and, and you kind of knew what was going to go down. You knew he was kind of you know, getting some seasoning and then going to move on to a bigger job. And, and Jesse Marsh has, has kind of always made it known you know, through the, the, his trips to Europe and everything like that that he does see himself in Europe and everything. With Vieira to start, um, I – with the Arsenal links and everything, you, you kind of expected him to, to go back to the Premier League and start there. Not that the French League doesn't make sense. He steps into a Nice team that that does have some talent, that has done well in recent years. And with Marsh, I, I kind of always expected him to go the Salzburg route before Leipzig. It seems like he's he's kind of jumping two steps in the Red Bull ladder. And it's very interesting. You know, you look at Leipzig, it's been one of the best teams in the Bundesliga these last two years. They've kind of gone gone stepped up to a whole new level in, in a way that nobody really expected them, especially considering their rise through German soccer. It, it just seems like this is a huge step for him. And I, obviously he's, he's a great coach and he's kind of achieved almost everything there is to achieve in MLS. Obviously the MLS cup's still there, but both coaches are uh, definitely drawing interest from teams that maybe I didn't expect five, six weeks ago. Well, first things first, right? We, we don't know what's real and what's not. And I think, uh, until we see them lifting uh, jerseys or, or putting hats on in a press conference, we won't know. And I think of the two, I think the, I think at this point, Vieira looks like the more realistic move of the two to actually happen. Although Jesse Marsh uh, did did kind of sidestep the question when he was asked uh, on Wednesday. He said, uh, you know, he's not answering when I, when he was asked about the Red Bull Leipzig uh, move. And I agree with you. I thought Salzburg was going to be the next step for him and as and it should be remind we need to be reminded that he was going to to Salzburg. He was going to Salzburg uh at one point in the, in the off season and that fell through. He didn't have the coaching badges that he needed. The deal fell through and of course after the fact, you know, he had to play he had to play play it as if nothing was ever happening even though it it, it always was. And maybe one day in his memoirs, he can tell us, he can really tell the truth on what really happened there. Uh, but now we'll see. We'll see with him. I think Vieira's gone. I think, I think, I agree. With, it was, he was always leaving. He it was always a short stay because, look, he is a, a highly regarded coaching prospect. And it was, a, it was a surprise when he came here. And I really think as a league, MLS was lucky to have him. For the couple of years that they had him, because I really think he was a good, a good innovator, uh, someone who showed that that uh, a high level player can make that transition. Obviously, Zinedine Zidane uh, more recently has shown that you can win trophies having been a great player. But I, I really, I really just respected the the way he went about his business or the way he goes about his business as a as a coach. And I think he's ready. I think he's ready for that next step. The one thing that is is obviously unfortunate is that he's going to leave him. If he leaves, if he leaves now, he's going to leave NYCFC in the middle of a season, in the middle of a season when they could absolutely win a title or, you know, that team is, is a contender. So that's a rough one, but it, it's the business. It is it, that that comes with the territory. Uh, you see it around the world. Coaches leave for jobs. Now the question is, who is NYC going to hire to replace them? 
for the Red Bulls, I think it's a little easier. If 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 Jesse Marsh leaves the Red Bulls, I think you have several people in house already who are, who are familiar with the system. You won't see much change if Jesse Marsh leaves because I think Chris Armas takes takes over. I think Dennis Hamlet even going from you know his front front office position could step in as the head coach. So that makes more sense. But at NYC, if the if he if Patrick Vieira goes, that who takes over? Yeah, Patrick Vieira like you said, has, has stepped into MLS and really ex- really embraced it all. And, and you look and you mentioned, you know, just his playing career and everything he achieved. He stepped in and really adapted himself to the league and, and made himself fit the league. Obviously, he was going to come with a style of play, and he did. And to watch NYCFC grow over these last two years or so, it's you've seen them go in mold kind of in his vision, and he always kind of had that vision. And, and this is the year where you kind of see it coming out. And if he leaves, it's tough because I'm not going to give him all the credit. Obviously, they've brought in some great players. They've improved their roster. They've made everything fit. But Patrick Vieira's vision has really come out in this team this last few years. And and he's going to be so tough to replace, especially midseason. Now, they have the veteran leadership. They have the talent to kind of, you know, ease it a little bit. But I don't know how how far they can go without him there. I'm giving him a lot of credit for how they've played. And it's definitely going to be a challenge for them, more so than the Red Bulls would be. Right. I mean, look, I still think they're going to be a good team, but oh, absolutely. Uh, if anything, you know what? If he, if Vieira was still kind of on the fence about whether or not to stay or go, I think the New York Red Bulls are helping push him out the door because on Wednesday in U.S. Open Cup action, the Red Bulls smacked up NYCFC 4-0. This is not a repeat. This is not a rerun. It, 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 they did beat them by the same exact 4-0 scoreline. That they beat him in the first Derby meeting of the season uh, in a regular season matchup, uh, and again neither team had their full first choice lineup. It's a U.S. Open Cup game, so you you, you saw a lot of a lot of reserves there, a lot of a lot of youngsters out there. But still, to lose and to to have another beatdown, another four zero. Uh, you know, I was watching Vieira there, and by the by the three by the time it got to three zero, he he sat on the bench. Put his put his kind of hand his head his face in his hands and I think maybe at that point he said you know what maybe maybe going to France wouldn't be wouldn't be so bad right now yeah it's that game in particular is such an interesting one and and you know just to kind of offer clarity NYCFC isn't a team that's currently built to play in the U.S. Open Cup obviously you need a, a certain amount of Americans on the roster and the way things stand you look at the bench yesterday two goalkeepers and, and four subs you know including you know James Sands a young player Scally is a young player so they aren't a team built for it but combining everything that's gone on especially with the game a few uh a few months ago it's been uh it's been tough for Vieira against the Red Bulls last year seemed like a breakthrough but you know these past few games uh the Red Bulls have definitely uh reasserted themselves as the dominant force in New York soccer at least for the time being they definitely have their number uh no question about it and from a style standpoint it isn't as if NYC FC can't you know under no under any circumstances beat the Red Bulls but I just feel like the Red Bulls are, are are in a good rhythm right now, and, and you know Jesse Marsh made some good points about about just their whole developmental setup and how they get they can bring along young players, put them in USL, get them playing time, get them experience, and just keep them keep the conveyor belt going. And right now, it's just clicking their their whole system's clicking, and it, it sets them up perfectly to to be able to compete on multiple fronts because they can actually put a, a, a full second team out there. 
uh, or mostly second team out there, and they can compete. They can compete against uh, against some some good teams. Unfortunately, not all MLS teams uh, can say the same. Not all MLS teams have that kind of depth. And we saw a few teams, uh, you know, get knocked off in the Open Cup uh, on Wednesday. We we saw New England go down. Brad Friedel was definitely not happy about that. And we saw the Colorado Rapids with pretty much a first choice lineup get eliminated from the Open Cup. I know we've I know I've talked about it before on the show. I know you and I have talked about it before, but the Rapids, man, how bad are the Colorado Rapids? I I think it was hard to determine what a new low would be for the Rapids considering the way they've played in recent weeks and and the way that they've kind of struggled all throughout the season, but man, that was that's the new low. If you know 2-0 to uh to Nashville, a team that brought, you know, former Rapid Kosuke Kimura off the bench at the end of the game, you know, alluding nice to the, touch. right? The last, you know, they were just like, hey, remember when you were good? Here's Kosuke Kimura. And yeah, little troll job there. Troll job there. Yeah, it's just, obviously, it's you, look at the, you look at the team and it, it's certainly not one of the most talented teams in MLS. I don't think I'm. You're being I'm kind. You're being that. kind right now, right? But, You're being too nice. You're being too nice. Listen, uh, fire, are, fire everybody. Fire okay, play you can't fight like they say. You can't, can't fire, fire the players. players. Can't fire the players. But listen, poor Ike Smith, it's time to go. Uh Anthony Hudson, you know what? <laughs> you did a nice job on the interview, obviously, but this isn't working out. You probably it's time to go. Because there's just nothing to sh- we have seen nothing. It's been three months now. We have seen nothing to suggest anything is 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 changing there anything's getting better there and and it's ugly man it is ugly and i'll tell you what i think i think the rapids if they're gonna do anything they're, they're gonna actually help they're gonna help the pro rel movement because they're gonna start convincing people that maybe we do need promotion relegation because you can't have a team this bad in mls for this long because it doesn't seem like anything's changing i don't know the thing is with the rapids is let's say i'm i'm joe rapids fan what on this team am I getting excited about? You know, you look at some of the other teams in MLS that, that maybe aren't as good as the others, and it seems like each one has a, a young player or, 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 or a national team player, something to get excited about. And the Rapids have, have Tim Howard, obviously, and, and there's arguments right now whether or not he's the best option to even start for them. You look at the rest of the roster, it's a bunch of, you know, championship players, and, and there isn't really a young player to get there's all excited nothing. about. There, there just isn't there's... anything that's going to make me want to go to a Rapids game and, and get excited and buy a jersey and everything like that. And I think that stinks because, you know, the Rapids, they've 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 had their success. They've found ways to kind of win despite being in a small market. It, it's unfortunate to see that, that right now that roster doesn't have anything that I would want off of it. Yeah, if I'm an expansion team and I got to take someone from the Rapids, there's <laughs> yeah, maybe, passing. There's maybe pass. two players that I'm interested in. But other than that, the rest of the roster, I, I, don't, I get I don't, better elsewhere. I don't think the Rapids have to worry too much about the expansion draft. I, I, that, I, I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah, FC, FC, look, Cincinnati's coming in next year, so there will be an expansion draft. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say I don't, I don't think any Rapids players will be taken in that one. Yeah, but, not, uh, I, wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Yeah, so pretty ugly there. But uh, we we have to look back a little bit at the the league action last weekend. We're not going to get into all the games, but there's definitely a few uh, a few spots, we a few a few games to touch on. Obviously, Seattle. Uh, once again, the Seattle the struggles in Seattle continue. And I was writing a story today about uh, about Raúl Ruiz Diaz, the Peruvian national team striker. Seattle's closing in on 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 going after him as a designated player. And it, and, it, and it actually hit me today how bad the Seattle attack has been this year when I looked at the stats and realized that they have scored, that their goal total 
is half as many goals as the next worst team in the entire league. Seven goals. They have scored seven goals. It's unbelievable how bad things have gotten. Obviously, injuries. They've had a lot of bad luck there. But again, they didn't go and sign uh, players in the in the, in the previous window. They didn't get anyone in January. Now they're paying the price. Uh, what do you think, man? Is it too late? Is it too late? Or can the, or can the Sounders salvage something here? I think we all knew that their window was closing. I, I don't think that was a secret. You know, you look at the players who are aged, Roman Torres, Chad Marshall, Clint Dempsey's aging. You look at the group and Ozzy Alonso, there's just that window and that group was so good for so long. And, and given the results last year, they got so close once again. But it was time to kind of not necessarily blow it up, but bring in something new. And they tried and it just wasn't enough. They didn't bring in enough of what was needed. Obviously, the Jordan Morris injury is kind of a backbreaker, and they've had their injuries throughout, and you do have to excuse some of it, but there's no excuse for having seven goals at this point in the season. Atlanta puts that up in, in, in a game sometimes. You know, that's not a goal scoring total that you should be uh, very proud of. And obviously, the Rui Diaz thing is a positive start because he is a, a player that's proven in Mexico that he can score, a good player for Peru. It seems like the correct sort of move, but the question is is it enough? And is it, do they have enough time to kind of make the push? You know, they're going to need to to go on some sort of crazy run, and they've done it before. But for me, I I think it's almost a little bit too late. No, I agree with you there, and I, I think the one good thing about the Rui Diaz move, if they if they pull it off, he's twenty seven years old, and so I don't. I, this isn't necessarily just a move for this year. Uh, I think he's a guy who, you know what, when when the when the the dust settles, if they fall short, come twenty come twenty nineteen. You know, you have Rui Diaz as someone that you can kind of build around, and let, and let's not forget, folks, Clint Dempsey. I think I, I I don't think he's long for for the game at this point. I think this is it for him. I think we're going to see the the Clint Dempsey farewell tour here in the next few months. I don't see him playing again after this season. I think he call. I think he I think he's going to retire. Uh, you know, go enjoy time with his family. Go go do some fishing. Go go <laughs> whether whether he moves to Texas, whether he moves to Carolina, North Carolina, wherever he goes. I, I think this is it for him. So I think I think if you're Seattle. And you start thinking about your your big signings that you're going to make this summer. You want to go get yourself a couple of young, a younger uh, DPS if you can. I mean, not necessarily Ezekiel Barco young, but definitely you know not close to thirty. You want somebody mid twenties around that range. And 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 you know what, Rui Diaz could be one of those guys. Uh, looking at some of the other action from last week, I, we have to talk about TFC Columbus. TFC was up three zero. The, the 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 climb back up the east ladder was on in full effect. They, they look like the MLS champions we remember, and then it all <laughs> fell apart. Columbus Crew three unanswered goals. Michael Bradley having what had to be at least for my memory the worst game of his career. I mean, and I know some people say, "Hey, wait a minute, Trinidad, Trinidad was probably the worst game of his career." You know, look. He single-handedly he was involved in all three Columbus goals, and to be fair, he's not he he he's not he's not a center back. We we know this. He's not a center back. Uh, he 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 showed well in the Concacaf Champions League at center back when he was thrown in there. But maybe Greg Vanny's fallen in love with this a little bit too much. Time to bring him back in the midfield. But yeah, that's a that's got to be disappointing if you're if you're TFC watching those points slip away. Yeah, it's much like Seattle's another team that's kind of been decimated by, you know, circumstance and everything. And, and I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about TFC turning it around just because I think they have the talent unlike Seattle, but my God, that was, that's hard, man. That's, that's a hard one to stomach just because you've been, like you said, you've been waiting for, 
Toronto to kind of turn it on, you know, since the CONCACAF Champions League ended. And it seems like they've kind of just been rolling around in neutral ever since. And that first half, they did, you know, the, the, the first half of that game, they did turn it on. They looked like the team, you know, Jovinko was in there. Everything was kind of going right. And then, like you said, Michael Bradley just kind of kind of happened there. And it, it it's kind of a backbreaker just because Columbus is one of those teams they're chasing. And Columbus is one of those teams that that is surprisingly looking like a contender in the East. And it's time to kind of start picking up points against those teams that you're kind of going against. You know, we're at a point in the season where you can kind of see who the contenders and the pretenders are. Columbus is looking like a contender at this point. And for Toronto FC, it would have been real nice to get at least, you know, three points off them there. It was it, It's kind of a backbreaker to kind of let those go. I think they'll be all right. I think they'll still be yeah. okay when it's all said and done. But, you know, in terms of now, the question, I still think they get into the playoffs. The question is now how high how high a seed can they realistically get? Because I think, you know, when you look at an Atlanta, I just, they're not going to catch Atlanta. At this, they're just not. Because Atlanta's not going to have that kind of slump that it would take to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the red, red for me, it's, it's the, the I think top. Atlanta, Red Bulls, and NYCFC are kind of, gone at this point that's that's your that's your top three columbus those is looking are pretty three. good too columbus is looking pretty good too so they're right up there so that's four so then fifth place is probably as good as you're gonna get if you're tfc but again with the talent that they have when they're healthy they can beat anybody uh moving on we philadelphia atlanta speaking of atlanta uh philly went in you know they on a nice run and then the red cards happen, and it was it was an ugly one. And, and I, there's a lot of denial going on in Philly, folks, because uh, the fact that people actually think that that there was not a penalty on Austin Trusty against Joseph Martinez is mind boggling to me. I watched the replay. I watched the replay like 50, 50 times. I slow mode it. The good thing about having DVR, and I always laugh when people are like, "Hey, I was at the game, buddy. I was sitting right there." I saw. Listen, trust me. I I'm watching on HD at home with the DVR where I can slow mo it a hundred times. You watch it live on one time. You're not gonna catch the same things. I saw it. It was clear penalty, clear as day. Where it all went wrong for me, if you're the referee, I don't see how you give. Alejandro Bedoya, that second yellow. I'm not excusing Harris Madunyanin for going completely bonkers. That was <laughs> that was unfortunate. But I really think Soren Stoicha, I, I just he just lost the plot. You can't Bedoya is the captain. That's a bad second yellow, and it, it really ruined the game. But I tell you what, I give, I give Philly credit because you know what? They're de- when I saw them lose, go down to nine men. I thought, oh, this is going to be like 10-0. This is going to be <laughs> like they're going to be records broken. But hey, they stayed right with them. They they had they made it a game and if they not scored for, a goal they scored a goal and if not if not for if not for Fabinho with the ridiculous hand in the air uh, handball who knows they could have pulled the point out of this so I don't know I, it's unfortunate ref ruined the game I thought but I thought actually Philly even though they lost I think they showed something yeah I think in terms of it's a good rallying game for Philly in that you can kind of build off of it. Even it look, it's hard to build any positivity from a three, one, especially now when you're going to have Bedoya and Madunian and kind of suspended with those right cards, but you can kind of build off of this in the way that they performed, you know, like you said, they were outshot, they were outplayed, but they held on. You know, Picot gets the goal, and like it, and it comes down to the end where you know you get that that stupid penalty. But you yeah. can kind of build on and say, look, we went toe to toe with this team, down nine men, and, and held our own, and and we we earned a little bit here. And, and Jim Curtin should be able to say that now. Philly is that 
Is that a team that's going to go on a real run? I don't know. I don't know if they have the talent. But you could definitely look at this game and say, look, guys, we're we're this close. We, we have this. We could build off this, and we could do something with it going forward. This weekend, we're all, most of us are going to be paying attention to U.S.-France, uh, bracing ourselves for, 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 for what it will hopefully not be an embarrassing blowout. Uh but there's actually some good MLS games. There's some 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 really good ones. NYCFC Atlanta, uh, otherwise known as Patrick Vieira's farewell. We've already talked about the possibility of him leaving. But in terms of just the matchup itself, it kind of loses its luster a little because you know Yangel Herrera is out for the season, and that's a huge blow for them now. Uh, he had ankle surgery. Alexander Ring is carrying a knock. That's another huge blow for them. They obviously have guys away from for for the World Cup in, in Matarita and Ronnie Wallace. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what do you th- do? You like NYC at home against Atlanta, or do you think Atlanta can 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 do something on that small field? I think I like Atlanta in this just because, like you said, there are so many missing pieces for NYCFC, and especially coming off that Red Bull game and with the Vieira thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't really see NYCFC going in and in, in, in playing the way they usually play. That's just the way I see it. Right. Yeah, no, I, I I like them at home though. I, I like their. The if anything, it it, it's actually it. Atlanta with the speed that they have, they want a bigger field. I think they want a bigger field. They want to stretch you out. Uh, when it's a smaller field, it's a little tougher. I, I, I'm pretty sure Atlanta lost at Yankee Stadium the last time they played there. Um, it's not again not going to be easy, but I, I think NYCFC rebounds in this one. Hopefully, they're not being distracted by Patrick Vieira's farewell, but it's going to be a good one. That's that's easily the game of the week. Although some mm-hmm. people will argue Columbus and Red Bulls could also be yeah. game of the week. Yeah, two teams with players that are away on national team duty. Uh, actually, both teams have two players. Uh, you have Zach Steffen, Will Trap, Tyler Adams, Tim Parker are all away. Red Bulls uh, also missing the Panama contingent. Uh, as well. the, yeah, Michael Maria, yeah. the starter at right back. So so given given that, given who's away, who do you like in this one? Um, I don't know. It's this one's a little bit tougher because like you said, both teams are missing such key pieces. I think the Red Bulls are more equipped to kind of handle those absences given the depth they have and 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 given how they kind of were able to navigate that midweek game. So yeah, I think the Red Bulls will be fine in this one. I don't know if I'll take them to win. I I could see a draw in this game. I think both teams are, are good enough to to kind of go out and play even with those absences, though. You also forget what this game is. This is the U.S. national team. Audition, uh, the coach aud- the audition yeah. derby. Winner gets this the job. The, Ernie Stewart will be there with a – he'll have a clipboard. He'll have a, he'll have a score sheet there <laughs> looking at everything. So – uh, it should be an interesting one. Uh, I'm going to go Red Bulls in this one. I think, look, Bradley Wright Phillips, the guy is having a monster year, uh, MVP caliber year. Uh, you know, you have they're, – they're, they're, they're in a good way. And obviously missing Adams and Parker is huge for them because Adams is – Tyler Adams is a beast. Tim Parker has been best 11 caliber. But I feel like they're they're in a good way. I think they're going to head there. And I think the crew are going to miss their guys more than the Red Bulls are going to miss their guys. I'm going to go Red Bulls in that one. Then we have Galaxy RSL. I, I'm not talking about all games this weekend, but I'm going to talk about this game. And now some people will be like, "Why are you talking about that game?" Uh, I'm talking about it because I, I'm curious. Like RSL is starting to hit a nice stride. LA obviously has been struggling to to kind of find. They've been a, bad. A, a, They've been bad. They, well, hey, look, they got a point in Portland, so I'm going to give That's them a little true. credit there. I'm going to we'll give them a little credit. credit there. They got a point in Portland. Uh, Zlatan will play in this game. Uh, but as as usual, the question is it, it, that defense, that the highest paid defense in the league, also happens to be one of the worst defenses in the league. 
think that for the galaxy, I want to see Zlatan. It's time for Zlatan to have another game. I mean, he another kind of one of those games where, and not that he's been terrible. I mean, he's been he's shown his he's shown his quality throughout, right? Uh, but I want to see him have another game like that first game. I want to see him really kind of take charge of things, and and obviously you need help for that. You need you need you need uh, su- support. You need service. Uh, but that RSL defense is, I don't know. I feel like it, matchup wise, I think it's not a great matchup for them. I think Zlatan could have himself a game in that one. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I also want to see how the Galaxy go over these next few weeks without the Dos Santos brothers. You know, is it? Is it a well, sort of I mean, addition? They've gotten, they've, gotten, they've gotten used to being without That's true. Gio, Gio, has, Gio be has been in and out you know, all year. But is it – I'm not going to say addition by subtraction per se, but how do they kind of, of put their lineup together without trying to pigeonhole Gio in there? And, and how do they play without Jonathan offering that presence? I'm, I'm kind of interested just to see how they handle it all. Well, I think they, they've already had to deal with both those guys missing games. So, I, 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 you know, I don't think it's going to hurt them that much. I'm not sure what Ola Kamara's status is. is. Is he back for this game or is he still with Norway? He actually didn't play in their last game for Norway that he was with them, which I thought was kind of funny after after LA lets him go and they make Legette stay. And the reason I and, – and I know there's some folks in LA that, that took offense to I, – I, I threw a tweet out there kind of putting it out there that, look, U.S. national team wanted Sebastian Legette with them. And Sebastian Legette could have started against Ireland. Sebastian Legette could be starting against France. And, and that's a great showcase. That would have been a great showcase. I know some people will say, oh, wait a minute. He, last time he was with the national team, he broke his hand. You know, he had an injury that cost him the whole year. So, But listen, that happens. That was in the past. He's healthy now. I think it would have been great to see him get that opportunity. Unfortunately, he didn't. Uh, it, it just It's just not a good look that they let Ola Kamara go. And, and then he doesn't even play. So anyway, I, I don't know if he's back or not. If Ola Kamara is back, I want to see that that Zlatan Ola kind of dynamic continue to develop. If he's not there, I want to see how Zlatan does without Ola there and just kind of as that focal point up front. So we'll see. It's 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 a more interesting game than than I think people realize. Yeah, I agree. It's it's certainly one to watch and like I said, RSL is is the team to watch there for me. I just want to see them kind of take that next step because before the season I picked them as a contender and it's taken some time and I just want to see if they could kind of continue that development, continue that growth. It's a young team. Can they kind of take that leap into the West? Because it's there for the taking. Uh, that it is. The West is wide open. It's wide open. There's not a lot of, you know, the, FC Dallas is, is doing their thing. L- L- LAFC is obviously doing their thing. But uh, after that, it's a little... Yeah, I like open. Portland. I think Portland's fine. Oh, Portland. There, there are a few Portland, teams. To be fair. There are a few teams in there that I think are, are pretty locked in. But other than, after that, it's anybody can make a run, probably except the Colorado. Mm, nah, uh, I don't know about San Jose either, man. San Jose is yeah, not that's... not in great shape either. I think they've got like one win since the start of the year. Like, so. I, I can at least see something with them. Like I can at least see. They are not as terrible as the Raptors. Yeah, Just say that. That's. Just I mean, that. that's not saying much. I <laughs> look my intramural team and college put together some results but like it's i could see things there that i'd be like all right we could build around that like you look at nick lima and you're like all right we could build around that and they have pieces in the attack you know hosen and vaco like those guys are okay you know you could see something right. in the rap they have don't they have they have what they have some pro looking pieces is what you're saying yeah they they yeah. resemble a professional team on the field together sometimes not all the time i can't Say all the time, but there's something, and that's all. I, I feel like that's all you can really ask for sometimes. I feel like I can hear Rapids fans turning off the show. I think they understand wholeheartedly. 
Nah, you're I, right. Look, you're right. Uh, look hey, listen, we're I, giving like your team. Said, co- look, we're giving your team coverage, which I know they don't get much of these days. So we're trying to do our what? part. Rapids fans, like, look, every fan deserves better than what is out there right now. I think every fan should admit that they deserve better, and and I hope something happens because they need a little bit a little bit more juice on that team. Speaking of hope. <laughs> good transition. Oh, we uh, that's good. Yeah, that was a heck of a segue. Not even intentional. Uh, we're going to change gears a little bit, get away from MLS, and we are going to talk about Hope Solo, who loves to talk. And, and since she's no longer playing, she, she's uh, spending a lot of time on soapboxes. And uh, her latest diatribe uh, was aimed at the U.S. Joint World Cup hosting bid for 2026. She was interviewed recently, and she pretty much said that she doesn't know or she doesn't think she can support the U.S. bid. Uh, she pretty much sounded like she said, don't vote for the bid, although she questions that that the uh, characterization of it. Basically, the gist of her argument is that uh, American soccer has issues that need to be addressed, i.e. promotion and relegation, uh, MLS and uh, some, and, and, and co- all the issues that, basically everything that Rocco Camiso has complained about, she is complaining about. And which which isn't really a surprise because if I recall correctly, I'm pretty sure Rocco Camiso uh, might have backed her presidential run for U.S. Soccer. I could be wrong there. Uh, but what did you think when you saw these comments? Were you surprised? I can't imagine you were surprised. But what did you think when you read when you read Nope Solo's comments? You know, the initial headline came up, and I was just like, "Well, there's there's some sour grapes and and, and whatever." And I think her clarification. I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to say I agree with it, but I it adds a little bit more understanding and that she's asking for things that a lot of people want but probably aren't going to happen, let's just be honest. But I understand a little bit where she's coming from now. What What's the alternative? She's saying don't vote for Morocco, don't vote for the United bid. I don't know where you want the World Cup to be played because the only two countries going for it. But yeah, it just it seems look, like sour grapes. It's a little bit deeper, but yeah, I don't know, man. Basically, Not, what it look what it comes down to, and what she wants, what Rocco Camiso wants, what Ricardo Silva want, they want promotion and relegation, right? That's what they want, point blank, period, end of story. They want promotion and relegation, and if that can't happen, then they want the bid to fail, because if the bid fails, then in theory, U.S. soccer leadership will be in trouble and it could help lead to a change that's what they want they want anarchy or forced change and that's all it comes down to and if you look you read the comments you read hope solo's comments and and, and it's clear as day i mean it's you know i'm not i'm not gonna some people would call her a puppet i'm not gonna use that word but some people say she's a rocco and ricardo silva puppet uh because she's speaking their talking points she's speaking the same arguments and is there some validity to some of the stuff Yes, Absolutely. possibly. Yeah. Sure. Uh, would it be nice to have promotion relegation? Yes. Uh, is 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 American soccer failing because there is no promotion relegation? I'm not making that jump. Obviously, people with best, who, who who have a reason to want it to be reality are pushing that are pushing that scenario. But I don't know. Like it. I, she, you know what? This didn't surprise me at all because, as I said, when you look at it in that context, you think about her presidential run. Basically, she she's a she's a high profile figure. She, whenever she talks, people put them people put the mic up because some, they know some craziness is about to happen. They know that so, that she's not going to bite her tongue. That she could say anything. You know, she's capable of saying anything. And if if you're people who want 
change, then she is the perfect kind of vehicle for that that kind of push, that kind of public push. I think the only other person that, that could rival her is Eric Winalda, and I'm surprised he hasn't come out and, and said similar, although I think he's kind of still recovering from not having won the presidential election. I think he's still kind of licking his, his wounds there, and we'll see if he gets back in, and I hope he does because, listen, uh, you know, good or bad, I, I, I still think he, he offers quite a bit to the whole American soccer conversation. Uh, so hopefully he does get in there, back in there. But I, you know what? I, I have a lot, I have a lot more uh, reason to kind of buy into some of the things that Winalda does and says. Hope so. I don't know, man. Like, I just, I can't take her seriously. Yeah, it's look. I understand the wanting change, and I, I get that you know potentially missing out on that world cup bid could inspire some of it. But yeah, I don't know if I agree with the one step forward, a million steps back or one step backward, a million steps forward into the pro rail thing. You know, I it's, think it's, it's so short sighted. Yeah, it's, it's so it, it, you know, just what, what that bid could do. If the world just cup, everything, the, right. If people forgotten like what 94 meant to, to the game here and, and it could definitely have a huge, and that's what's, I think that's what, that's the scariest thing on earth. That's, I think that's what probably keeps the, the, the Silvas and the Camisos up at night is the, is knowing that if the U.S. bid wins, then it's a wrap. Then there is, there is no, I mean, that's, it's a wrap for Pro Rel for a while. Like, mm-hmm. it's a wrap for the NASL. It's a, you know, like things will stay the way they are. And obviously, look, there's people who are definitely not happy with the way with the way things are, and 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 I'm not sitting here saying that they have no reason to be unhappy and that everything is perfect. That's far from the truth. But asking for anarchy, asking for failure for of the bid, that, that I mean, I think I'm sorry that that's a that's a bridge too far for me. Yeah, just the amount of good it would do. Just for the obviously Americans, like you said, it's not perfect. There's so many things that that could be changed and improved upon, and we've discussed a bunch of them throughout this show. There's so many different ways to reach out and make everything better. But to think that it would be better not having that, you know, even just the financial, the cultural, the just everything that would go on with the World Cup, it would help everything so much in terms of the growth of the game. And I, I think it'd be pretty wild to wish missing out on that for any reason. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, when you think about it kind of rationally and you take a step back and, and you kind of look beyond the, the bluster and you look be, beyond the, the the kind of the hyperbole, I really think at the end of the day, you know, I, I'll give hope, I'll give Hope Solo a little credit in that, you know what, if anything, at least she's kind of making people kind of look at the whole thing. And, and if anything, if she's done anything... The good, it, I think maybe it's that. And I think for, for most people are going to react completely negatively to her comments and say, you know what, it's crazy. What are you talking about? But maybe some people will look at, 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 the, at her arguments and say, yeah, maybe, you know what, maybe there could be some things that could be changed. Uh, so, but I don't know, man. Like, it, it, I, I'm a little torn. I'm trying to give her some credit here. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, she can't help herself. I I think, you put a mic I in front of her, she be- can't help herself. I think it would be better received from a different messenger, you know, at this point. I, like, there's there are points that she makes that are correct, and there there are certain things that she has said and, and that other candidates have said and everything like that, that that do have merit. But just with everything that's going on with the end of her national team career, you know, everything that's going on, I think maybe a different messenger would, would get these points across a little bit better. Well, that's the thing, right? I think that maybe – so – it should be pointed out that she recently had the, the, the charges were dropped against her 
uh, for the the incident that that uh, everyone obviously talked about a couple of years ago involving her and a family member. And she was charged with, you know, I think there was a domestic violence charge. And she's obviously come out and said, you know, well, why hasn't that, why hasn't my, the dropping of the charges been reported on as much as the actual charges were. And look, that's, that's been going on in sports forever. It's unfortunate, but when it comes down to it, it's, 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 it's sad. It's unfortunate. And it's not just a sports thing. When someone, when you're charged with something, it's so hard to get that stain off you, even when you're clear to the charges. That's just the reality that we live in. And that's not a sports thing. That's not a male, female thing. That's just, that's a societal thing. It's harder to get the stain off than it is, than it is to get the stain on. It's sad as it's to say. Uh, but getting back to the point, maybe she, so in, in seeing the charges dropped, maybe she looked at it and said, listen, I deserve to be heard now. You have no excuses not to listen to me. You can't hide behind the thing of me being, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a criminal or whatever now you need to listen to me and i think that's a little idealistic on her part uh she didn't necessarily have to get on this soapbox but again i'll, I'll go back to what i said earlier she's probably just happy to to force people to maybe have a conversation and if she if that was her goal then she's succeeded and i'll give her credit there but if she really thinks that that that, that this is going to lead to the bid losing it's not gonna happen if the bid loses, it's not going to lose because she came out and said she doesn't want it. But if anything, she's led, she's forced people to kind of look at it. So we'll see what happens. We'll find out in a week if we're going to have the World Cup here or if Morocco wins the bid. I like our chances. I like the U.S. joint bids chances. But if we if we learned anything in previous in previous FIFA elections, you can never be too sure. I think that's it. I think we've t- we've covered everything under the sun. One thing we did not talk about yet, Freddie Adu. Freddie Adu, happy birthday, Freddie Adu. Happy belated birthday. 29 years old, he scores on his birthday for the Las Vegas Lights. And I know some people are going to say, why in the world are you talking about Freddie Adu? Why are you talking about a USL player? Look, people love Freddie Adu, okay, folks? There are people who will always love Freddie Adu because of what he meant to them when they were younger in, in their lives. And he was that kid playing professional, 14-year-old kid Playing professional soccer, did you see the goal? And what do you think, man? What do you think about? What do you think about Freddie Do still doing his thing, trying to kind of get that career up and going? And he's in Vegas and he's doing his thing. Yeah, like good, good for Freddie, man. In the way that he has had so many bumps in the road, you know, so many different things have have challenged him, especially in these last few years as he's kind of tried to make his way through American soccer. And for him to to kind of find a place that's working and, and find a place that's fitting and for him to get that goal to kind of celebrate his birthday, it's it's good. And I also have to say, I, I love the Las Vegas lights and everything that they do. That is the most entertaining. It's crazy, soccer. man. It's awesome. They got the like, DJ in the locker room. The jerseys. Uh, I oh, uh, um, it's, they, they got it's, poker it's chips fun. for bonuses. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. They're giving away, they're giving their players poker chips when, I think it's when they win by three or they score three goals oh. and get a hundred dollars in poker chips like look brett lashbrook uh you get a lot of credit man you're 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 you making are it fun it's fun making like, it fun it, absolutely and look i, I gotta say this about freddie do right and, and i've known freddie a long time and uh you know i have a really good relationship with freddie it it just makes me laugh when some people want to go in on freddie do and his career and talk about what he wasn't and what he hasn't been and i gotta tell you what folks i gotta tell you something most of the people, most, 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 most of the people who have negative things to say about Freddie Adu would kill to have lived his life, would have killed to have had his career as 
as as as much of a roller coaster as it's been, as much of as much ups and downs, as many ups and downs as he's had, if you really sit down and think about his life and the career that he's had, did he become the next Pele? No. Did he become Messi before Messi? No. But the guy's had a pretty nice career, pretty nice life. Played in the Olympics, did his thing. Played in the Under-20 World Cup, did his thing. Gold Cup, did his thing. Played in Europe, played all around the world. Scored goals, played for Benfica, for Monaco. Really think about it, folks. And ask yourself, would you take that career? And I guarantee you, almost most people would. Most non-players and even some players would say, yes, I would absolutely take that career in a heartbeat. Yeah, and it's good to see him that he's he's still like you said he's only twenty nine. As much as it, it seems like he's been around forever, he's a guy who still has stuff left to contribute. He could still play, and, and you saw it. it's good for him to get a goal. I, it'd be nice to see. It's a good story, and and American soccer loves to see when Freddie Adu's around, and, and it's good to see him that he's back around. People still care, man. People still care, and uh, you know, is he gonna make his way back to the national team? No, but you know what? It's, it doesn't all have to be about that. And I always—that's what kind of annoys me—is like people continue to want to hold him up to what were always unrealistic expectations. They were uh, the whole next Pele thing was marketing. A lot of that stuff was marketing. It's not like Freddie Adu was was sitting out here telling people, "Listen, guys, I'm gonna be the next Pele." If he do, if he was, if that, if he was doing that, first of all, if he was doing that at 14, he's 14. <laughs> 14 well, you know who, can, who? I and the funny, this is crazy. I hadn't even thought about it till just this moment. Freddie Adu, Freddie Adu was a professional soccer player at the age of 14. I have a son right now. Who oh, no. is fourteen? My son, and he's and he's a he's a big boy. He 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 can handle himself. He can't make he can't even make a sandwich. Okay, I'm not. I'm just keeping. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it one hundred. He can't even make a sandwich. Freddie do was playing professional soccer with with grown ups, with adults, and and scoring goals and doing his thing. I I don't know. Listen, folks, if if you're on that Freddie do hate train. You might want to reevaluate life, and you might want to look at his career and ask yourself: Would you really? Would you really say no to that? And I'm pretty sure most people, if they're being honest, would absolutely say, "Yeah, I would take that." But yeah, it I mean, is what it is. Real, it is real quick. I, uh, it's you got to remember sometimes that this is it's obviously a business, and it's obviously so much to it. But this is supposed to be fun, man. And soccer in this country is a little bit more fun when Freddie's doing his thing. And soccer is a little bit more fun when you look at Las Vegas Lights doing whatever it is they do. And as much as we want to take this so seriously about, you know, World Cup bids and, and everything going on and national team and World Cup failures and everything like that, it's nice to have a little bit of fun and look at something away from all that and, and remember kind of what it is that this sport's all about and why we're all into it. And seeing Freddie as someone who was younger watching Freddie kind of grow up and, and get into that and it, inspiring players, it's good to see Freddie doing well and it's fun to see Freddie do well. So, yeah, good for him, man. No, nah, no question, man. And you know what? We, and uh, we've turned this into a whole segment about Freddie Adu, which is pretty Absolutely. funny. But it wasn't my intention. But it, now that we've gotten into the topic, wh- one thing I'd say too is like I don't feel like people realize what he like the kind of the fishbowl that he went through as at a young age. I mean, I remember being with him, being with fourteen-year-old Freddie Adu at like TRL in Times Square. Back when, back when he was a headliner above Black Eyed Peas, back when people didn't know who Black Eyed Peas were, but they knew who Freddie Adu was at fourteen. And I gotta tell you, folks, if you were a fourteen-year-old, 
that people were that people told w- was going to be a king and a god and the next Pele. A- ask yourself where where you would be now, where you'd be fifteen years later. And I gotta say, uh, not all of you would still be playing professional soccer. So I don't know. Cut the guy some slack. He he still brings joy to people. He still puts smiles on people's faces. He's doing his thing, and it's great to see. And with that, we've definitely we've definitely gone way over on time. But there was so much to talk about, and it's definitely good to have you on, Ryan. And I think you did better this time around than the last time you were on. I'm pretty sure you you were you were you were you were like Tim Weah uh, when he played in his first game, and he was super nervous, and and eventually he got it together. And today, you, you know, you, you you seem more polished. You seem you seem like you, you know you're you're all grown up now. Yeah, there was a definitely a, a few bad touches in the first game. I'm not I'm not saying my first touch is perfect here quite yet, but uh, I'm evolving. I'm trying to grow into the role. You know, I'm working my way up through you know through the through the teams. You know, I'm not quite senior level. I'll, I'll take Olympic team level at this point. I'm gonna have to do a lot of editing. I'm gonna have to do a lot of editing to to cut to cut a lot of this stuff out. But you were good. You were good, and we'll have you back. For sure, and uh, and of course, for those of you who, as you know, Ryan is managing editor of SBI, and and we'll be rolling out all of our World Cup preview preview coverage, and uh, make sure you're on top of that. Ryan's obviously spearheading that, and for those of you who are listening, who are writers, if you're looking for a place to write, SBI is definitely looking for writers and editors, social media managers, you name it. We're looking. We're definitely looking to add some members to the team. If you want to join the uh, the SBI squad and kind of become the latest member to pass through our academy, we have an excellent track record. If you want to do your thing in the writing department, hit me up, soccerbivis at gmail.com. And uh, you know what? Maybe you could join the team. Ryan Ryan uh, is my – he's the head coach. I'm, the, I'm kind of the CEO. He's my head coach. He's my uh, – he's my. Or, or you like the GM. You're like Ernie Stewart. You're like the Ernie Stewart of, 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 of SBI, I think. I think I'll take that. Yeah, I'm, I'm – I'm... I'm not all. I'm not everything, but I'm I'm kind of spearheading the processes and dictating the style. So I'll take that. There you go. There you go. All right, and that's it, man. I think we covered everything. And uh, next week we will uh, we'll have an uh, SBI show World Cup preview. I don't know who's going to be on that yet. Ryan may or may not. We have to grade him out. See how he did. We can see what his score is on this on this on this uh, <laughs> on this episode. And we'll, but we'll probably bring him back. We'll probably bring him back. But that's it. We covered everything. I definitely want to thank Tab Tab Ramos for coming for on and joining us and, and wish him well in Russia. And definitely remember, you can watch games, World Cup matches on Fox. Obviously, Fox Sports One, Big Fox. But there's also Telemundo. And just because you don't speak Spanish doesn't mean you can't watch on Telemundo. It can still be fun. It can still be a good experience. And you know what? You might catch Ty Ramos on there. So uh, keep that in mind. Definitely thanks, Ty Ramos, for coming on. And thanks, my man, Ryan Tomich, for keeping me company on this episode. That's all for now. This is Ivan Scalarsa. This is the SBI Show.